It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected and picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six into the middle of that line and it's a touchdown big return for Crowder 85 yards there was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete they got pressure on Prescott it was Adams who came blitzing in he'll hit immediately when he got the handoff you know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. oh my gosh listen thank you from the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And Denzel Mims was picked by the Jets at number 59 overall in the second round of the 2020 NFL Draft. A lot of us are really excited about it. Didn't think that Denzel Mims was going to be there. Certainly didn't think he was going to be there after Joe Douglas traded down from 48 to 59. But sure enough, there he is. A guy that many of us believe has the potential to one day become a number one wide receiver in the NFL. So I want to learn more about Denzel Mims, the person from somebody who was able to watch him up close the whole time he was there. He's been on the show before, gave us some great insight on Matt Rule when we thought that Matt Rule might be the next head coach of the Jets. Unfortunately, it ended up being Adam Gase, and I guess the Jets' loss is going to be Carolina's gain, most likely. But he's back right now. He runs Sikkim Sports, part of the Rivals Network, Mr. Kevin Lonquist. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on, man. My pleasure to be back on with you again. And uh, this time we're going to be talking about something that is definite versus what wasn't definite the last time, so... That is right. We are going to be talking about a definite because Denzel Mims was definitely picked at number 59 by the New York (laughs) Jets in the NFL draft. So let's talk a little bit about his beginnings. He was a really good athlete in high school. He did track and he did basketball in addition to football, committed to Baylor as a wide receiver, but he did play wide receiver and safety at high school. What do you remember about the recruitment process with him? You know, it's funny because I can remember there's a tweet that I have on Sikkim Sports uh, going back to Saturday. uh, No, I'm sorry, Friday evening, if you want to go search that. um, And I can probably send it to you so you can share with your folks. Uh, I was at a camp that Baylor was running. This was at the time when when uh, colleges could run satellite camps off the university campuses. And so they usually did one of these Texas and Marshall. In Dangerfield, which is where Denzel is from, a little town uh, that's you know within you know short driving distance uh, to Marshall, and so this camp was held in the first week of June uh, in 2015, and Denzel shows up there at Marshall High School on their field, hot day there, and he just dazzles with every sink and catch, and he's just frail as all get out, you know, not much in this, not much shoulder definition, total string being of a kid. But he was just an absolute ridiculous athlete. Now, he had a couple of offers. Uh, for instance, I think Texas Tech was a, team, was a program that had offered him prior to him arriving at the camp. But when the Baylor coaches saw him, Art Bryles, his son Kendall Bryles, and the rest of that offensive staff, they really locked in them. They were watching him like a hawk. And then they worked him out a little bit more in some of the drills that afternoon. And then Baylor came, and then the coaches came back because they always had their camps on Sundays on the university campus. 
And right before their camp got started, you know, I learned that they had offered Denzel. And, of course, Denzel went down the line. And he committed to them not too much later than that. Um, it was always their intent to make him a wide receiver just because, to use the cliche word, freak. But he really was just from the standpoint of how much he could get off the ground, how much he was able to just use his body control on every type of catch. And that's kind of how his college career played out. Now, obviously, he didn't play for Art Bryles because Art was fired pretty much the weekend before Denzel was supposed to arrive in 2016, Memorial Day weekend. And then he played for Jim Grobe, who was the interim coach that season, sparingly here and there. And, of course, then his career really took off uh, as a sophomore under Matt Rule when Matt got there uh, from Temple. How did he handle the transition between all the coaches? Because kid gets there as a freshman. By the time he's a sophomore, there's been three separate coaches there. Yeah, I think from the standpoint, you know, it was it was kind of an interesting scenario going into that 2016 signing class because Baylor had one of its best signing classes going into that, uh, really on record ever since rivals had kept rankings and that sort of thing, and they had seven really, really top-flight recruited players. Devin Duvernay was in that. Devin, who's from the University of Texas, mm-hmm. who was picked in the draft, I think, in the third round. Mm-hmm. But Devin was a part of that class as well. Um, and because of the transition when Bryles got fired and all heck broke loose there, that uh, those seven players had asked for their release from their national letters of intent. So instead of bringing a full class that full week, that Memorial Day weekend, which is when the Baylor players would typically show up, they pretty much brought half. And Denzel was one of the half that that showed up. And he's a quiet kid, didn't really say much, was loyal to Baylor, never wavered from his decision to get to campus and uh, get to work. And uh, obviously he was dealing with a coaching staff, too, that was uh, pretty much on borrowed time because all those coaches were replaced uh, when Matt Rule arrived. And then I think as far as just dealing with Matt Rule, really I think one of the best things that happened to Denzel was the arrival of Jalen Hurd. Because Jalen, who was a transfer from the University of Tennessee, now a wide receiver with the San Francisco 49ers, highly recruited player. And he just, even though Jalen uh, couldn't play in 2017 because he had to sit out for NCAA rules, he was just kind of a mentor throughout the program. He came to Baylor instead of playing running back, which is what he was doing at Tennessee as a wide receiver. That's what he wanted to do to make it in the NFL. I think he brought some sort of a mentor type of personality to Denzel. And that kind of showed itself even more during the 2018 season. And then when uh, Jalen was drafted by the 49ers in 2018 or 2019, rather, I think Denzel understood that when he going into the 2019 season, he was going to have to be that alpha type of player. Now, I think that Denzel had another – he had another 1,000-yard season. There were some moments that were like, oh, man, how did he do that? And then there were a couple of moments during the season of how could he have done that in, in a not-so-good play. But I think he ended the season very strong. And then, of course, the way that he went through uh, the week of the Senior Bowl, the Senior Bowl game itself, and, of course, the Combine really stood out for how much he had developed and why he was in the position to get picked where he was. 
I want to go back to when he was a freshman and Art Bryles was let go and clouds were hanging over the Baylor football program. And as you said, a lot of the kids bailed, but he was one that stayed. Why do you think he stayed? What is it about his personality that would have made him stay loyal to Baylor even after all of that went down? And I'm sure he had plenty of options to go play elsewhere if he wanted. I think, you know, Denzel being the soft-spoken young man that he is, I just think he felt like there was a loyalty beyond uh, Art's coaching staff there. And, of course, Art was the only one who was fired uh, at that time. The rest of his staff was there, including his son, Kendall. And, you know, Phil Bennett, the defensive coordinator, was still there. So those guys were still there uh, at that point. And I think that helped in terms of him staying there. Kaz Kazada, who was a very – well-respected strength and conditioning coach was there as well. And I think that helped bridge the gap and, and kind of help things transition. And then another thing that helped too is that the, now this was one of the stranger Baylor seasons I'd ever covered because they got off to a six and O start and then they wound up losing their last six games. So they went from six and O to six and six. They won their bowl game. And again, he, he had some moments uh, that really shined. You know, there was another wide receiver there by the name of Katie Cannon, as some people might remember, uh, who was uh, who, who thought that he was a, a value as a high draft pick. I don't think Denzel really learned uh, a lot from from KD, but I think that he just felt there was just a loyalty to Baylor because of how Baylor had worked with him and developed that relationship with him. And really, when he had committed to Baylor, that a lot of other schools had just backed off. And at that time. There were, you know, Devin Duvernay was the higher-rated wide receiver coming out, coming out of the, that recruiting class, and so when Devin was going to leave, uh, Texas was the school that really jumped into that. I don't know if there was many places for Denzel to go, or at least none that we ever really talked about. But I do remember I was checking with all those kids who came on board, or who were coming that weekend to make sure that they were coming, and Denzel told me that he was, and so. I just think from a loyalty standpoint above everything else mattered here. Let's talk about his ascension from very part-time player as a freshman to somebody who had a big impact as a sophomore his second year. I know that you talked about the tutelage of Jalen Hurd, but what do you think really contributed beyond that to his ascension from freshman to sophomore? Was it partially the presence of Matt Rule? Did he just unlock some of what Denzel Mims had hiding inside of him? I think part of it was that I think the other part of it too, is that there was an opportunity for him to, to really, uh, you know, Baylor was obviously in a lot of transition. I mean, rule style was completely one one eighty of what Art Bryles was doing. And so it was going to give more players, younger players, an opportunity to show what they could do. I think the one game where Denzel really showed himself was against Oklahoma in 2017. And I think that gave people an indication of how talented he was. You know, he had. I think he had a pretty b- big performance against Texas Tech at AT and T at the end of the season. You know, Baylor, you know, won one and eleven that year, and everyone knew they weren't going to be going to a bowl game anyway, uh, going into that season, just because of how things were going to transition. But he just took advantage of his snaps, worked his way into the starting lineup, became uh, a go-to player. Baylor was obviously going through a lot of different changes too at quarterback. Um, I think Denzel played for three different types of quarterbacks. I knew Solomon, who was a transfer from Arizona, who uh, didn't last very long. Then you looked at Zach Smith, who was an Art Browse recruit. He wound up transferring up to Tulsa. And and then they went to Charlie Brewer. And so, obviously, uh, he had an opportunity. Denzel had to work with three different types of quarterbacks. 
and try and figure out where he stood with them. And I think he just developed a relationship with Charlie toward the end of the season between games and in workouts so that something was able to click. You don't put a 1,087-yard season together in a 1-11 campaign unless you're able to do some good things on the field. I don't care if you were playing Liberty, which was their opener, or Texas Tech at the end or all schools in between. You have to have some God-given ability, which he showed out there on the field. I know there was a little bit of a dip in production from his sophomore year to his junior year, but given what he brought to the table in terms of size and speed and what you could see on film, to the best of your knowledge, was there any thought on his part of leaving early after his junior season and not coming back for a senior campaign? I don't think so. I don't think there was any thought. I don't think there was any indication that he was going to do that. I don't think he was consistent enough as a junior to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was the there was the great catch that he made uh, to win the football game against Oklahoma State in 2018. It was his only catch of the game, too, uh, but it was a miraculous catch at the end. But I think Denzel's season that year in 2018 was part of the unbelievable catch that was countered or neutralized to some extent by consistency, where he would just he would just kind of disappear in games, or he would just have a drop that would just make you scratch your head. And I think that's, and then again, you have Jalen Hurd who was that alpha wide receiver. So sometimes I think Denzel, because of his, his low key personality, maybe that kind of played into effect. Couldn't swear by that, but I think that had something to do with it. Um, but I also think too, that he learned a lot too, by watching the way Jalen conducted himself during the course of that season. Remember Jalen too got hurt. Uh, in the regular season finale against Texas Tech and didn't play in the bowl game. He had that knee issue there, and I think that's what was an opportunity for, for Denzel. He had to step up. So I think from that moment forward toward the end of the 2018 season toward what we saw in 2019, he became a much more polished player. He wasn't perfect, but he became much more polished. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. 
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Kevin, you told me something before we started recording that I was completely unaware of, and it was a really interesting little tidbit. Matt Rule has only had one receiver that has ever played for him that has gotten 1,000 yards in a season, and that one receiver is Denzel Mims, and he's done it twice. Tell me a little bit about the relationship between Mims and Matt Rule. I think with them, it's really not so much between Mims and Rule as I think it is with, with, with Rule and his players and the mm-hmm. culture that he established at Baylor to where it was a policy so that players felt totally comfortable with him and that they were able, they were challenged and they were worked like the Dickens uh, during the course of the offseason, fall camp, and during the course of the season. But if they were going to put in the effort, they were going to be rewarded for that. And I think that was something that Matt really stressed to all of his players. And so, and also, I think there was a trust that developed between Denzel and Matt that started to show itself. Um, you know, the things that I see, of course, you know, where Denzel, I'll give you a perfect indication uh, or example of this was their game in November at TCU in Fort Worth. Baylor played a really terrible game. Um, they were, but they were able to tie it and get it into overtime uh, at nine and nine. And, and Denzel really didn't do much uh, during the course of that game. But in overtime, he was lights out with, with touchdown catches in each of the overtime periods that eventually won the game for the Bears. He was really, really instrumental factor in that. And if you and I and I'll go back to a couple of the catches that he made, either to keep possessions going in the overtime period or on the touchdowns. That's where the trust is, that even though that he wasn't playing very well during the course of that game, he stood up when it mattered the most. And I think that's where, you know, let your play, you know, to use an expression, let your best players be your best players, regardless of how a game is going, because at some point it's going to show up. And it did in that game in Fort Worth. You talked about the relationship between Denzel Mims and Matt Rule. Tell me a little bit about Denzel Mims' relationship with the rest of his teammates. I think he's widely respected. I think a lot of guys looked at him, especially a lot of the younger receivers, uh, more of just how he carried himself. Again, as I mentioned earlier, how he looked a lot, at, looked up to Jalen Hurd and how Jalen conducted himself, everyday work at practice, everyday habits, that sort of thing. And I think that's how Denzel carried himself. Was he boisterous? He could be at times, but that really wasn't his bag, if you will. He just, the way he conducted himself in work, I think it really was was a reflection of who he was and how that worked with all the other receivers and other players 
And I mean, if you look at Charlie Brewer, the Baylor quarterback, that's kind of the same way. Now, Charlie will step up and say something when, when it needs to be said. And I think that's what uh, Denzel did at times. And I'm sure Denzel, once he gets to New York and starts working with the Jets coaching staff, will kind of go about it that, that same way. It'll probably be quiet for a lot of the time. And then there will be moments that you might hear it'll leak out every now and then about something where he picked his spot. Of course, that's probably when he's going to be established on the roster, provided he's doing what he's supposed to be doing there and that sort of thing. Tell me a little bit more about what he's like as a person. It sounds like he's a quiet, humble kid who likes to work. And that every now and again, like you said, there may be something that you hear about. But for the most part, he's just that quiet, humble kid. Any stories you can tell me from the years of covering him at Baylor? Uh, other than the fact that um, I, I just when I would get with him in post game interviews, sometimes I would get him one on one because obviously they bring out several players from games. But if I could get him one on one and have him talk me through a particular catch or a sequence or something like that or what he saw, uh, I was interested. He was very descriptive in how he would take you through a play on something. You know, just how a catch, how he read the ball, how he read the defensive back. You know, that sort of thing, or what the play was called or what he was supposed to do on the route, that sort of thing. So in that respect, you'd have to, you know, you can't just ask him yes and no questions. You really kind of have to ask him, uh, take me through this kind of thing to get him to open up a little bit more. And once you got him going, then he would be pretty talkative, that sort of thing. It's just a matter of finding that, you know, all of us have to find that little niche that can get them to open up a little bit more. I've Fortunately enough, I was able to do that on a couple of occasions. That's what I liked about him. But what I also liked about him is that he didn't carry an attitude, you know, because you can always tell in lock in post game settings, even if it's in a media room or whatever, that you can just tell when there's kind of a presence there saying this guy's kind of this or this guy's kind of that. But never got that impression from Denzel. Just quiet, kept himself. Which even if there weren't, even if his uh, had walked into the room the media room and the media hadn't noticed him yet because they were maybe all around uh, Charlie Brewer or somebody else, you know, James Lynch or whatever. And then he walks in. Uh, he just kind of sit there waiting, waiting patiently until everyone uh, ran over to him to talk to him, that sort of thing. But, but that's kind of who we, who he was in, in the uh, really five years, because obviously I talked to him during the recruiting cycle uh, when Baylor was uh, recruiting him to where he finished out uh, last year uh, against Georgia, in the sugar bowl. One thing that jumps into my mind hearing you talk about him, Kevin, is how you're saying he's a quiet kid. We know he's from a small town in Texas. He spent his entire life down in Texas, and now he's coming to New York, and it's very, very different here. And on top of that, we know that he famously said that Philadelphia was scary, so people read that and said, oh, no, is he going to make it here? What do you think? You think he'll be okay here in New York? As long as he gets the right people around him, who will walk him through this and help him understand because it is, it is a fish out of water experience. It's going to be that way for him once he gets up there, uh, just because of the reputation that the Northeast has good, bad, or indifferent. And I think for him, it's going to be a little bit of a shell shock, but I think in time he's, he can figure it out as long as he gets with the right people who will help him make that adjustment. Now he's going to have to do some of it on his own as well and say, look, I'm going to the Big Apple. I've got to, I've got to bone up. They've made me the second-round draft choice. That means they believe in me, and they expect me to produce and be a part uh, of their solution and get them back into the postseason. 
which is I know what every Jets fan would like for this this team to do. And so I think it it may start slow, and then it'll be kind of a gradual process through. You know, the thing there there is sometimes when I kind of worry about him in that personality because. Um, admittedly, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, and I saw this a couple of years ago with Laquan Treadwell when the Vikings drafted him in the first round out of Ole Miss, and there was a lot of high expectations for Laquan, and it never did materialize before the Vikings uh, finally just let him go, uh, and it didn't work out. I have a little bit of worries about that with, with Denzel, but I'm, all, but I'm more confident in him because I've been around him a lot more in knowing that it will help him. And plus the fact, I think the guidance that he got under Matt rule, I'm sure he'll be talking to him every now and then too, just because that's the kind of person that Matt is. Matt will help anyone regardless of where he is uh, to help him make adjustments. And that, and plus the fact that Matt also has a background in New York too. So that will mean something to Denzel during this process. Matt rule is obviously a very different personality from Adam Gase. Adam Gase is notoriously very difficult. It's easy to get in his doghouse at the snap of your fingers, how do you think that he would handle playing for Adam Gase? Well, number one, don't get in his doghouse. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but two, um, I think from the standpoint, I mean, look, it, it just depends on how, how visible the doghouse is because Rule's doghouse was really hard to pick up on during the course of his time at Baylor. Players would know it, and then they would talk about it, but you would not see it. Uh, on the sidelines or in practice, uh, post-game pressers or things like that. So there was a, if you will, a really good front established. Now, it's just different personalities. I think from the standpoint of the fact that Denzel has gone through three different head coaches when he was at Baylor, and I'll count our Bryles on this, uh, even though he never played for him, but the fact that he went through three, three different head coaches and also the fact that he's seen a lot of turmoil uh, in his in his time as a player, like what he saw at Baylor that first year, I think that will help him understand the dealing with stress, expectations, things of that nature. And like I said, I think it's going to start really slow for him, and then it'll gradually start to pick up. Are, are Jets fans going to see it in their rookies in his rookie season? No, I think rookie wide receivers are really hit and miss in terms of where they're where they're at, what they deliver, and what the expectations are, and how much they're used. So it really kind of depends on what the Jets want to do with him that first year. But I think regardless of what you see in that first year, my suspicion will be that you'll start to see a better Denzel Mims in that second year and hopefully that third year. We know that one of the common criticisms of him is that he's not a great route runner. And so people talk about the route tree, and that's one thing that they really hold against him. But one other thing that you hear a lot of is that he's a system-wide receiver, that he's just a Baylor guy. He's a product of the Baylor system. How would you respond to that? I would disagree with that because that was the rap that Art Bryles' wide receivers got when Art was there. But, I mean, we're talking three years removed from when Art basically four years removed from when Art was there, you know, you can probably make that argument for the sakes uh, for like Kendall Wright uh, 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 and Corey Coleman um, and those types of guys. And so, because those guys played for Art, so those are like. So I think, for, but but look, he played for he played under Frizz Jackson, a very well established wide receivers coach who was with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, before he came to Baylor for Denzel's last two years, and then uh, uh, he went to go join 
uh, Frizz went to go join Matt out in Carolina. So he played for an NFL caliber coach at the college level. So I think if that's the argument that people are going to use, then that's a lazy argument. There have been a lot of really good wide receivers from Baylor that have gone to the NFL. You mentioned Jalen Hurd before. Corey Coleman's another one. Obviously, everybody knows about Josh Gordon, Terrence Williams, Kendall Wright. You could make a whole list here and spend an hour running down the line, but you get the idea. There have been a lot of wide receivers that have come through Baylor that have been very talented and done pretty well in the NFL. How would you compare Denzel Mims to them? Where do you think he stacks up? Um, I, I kind of think of him as kind of like Josh Gordon to some extent, just because, you know, Josh is probably the most talented of all the wide receivers. Josh has just had so many off the field issues mm-hmm. that it's really robbed him of his uh, consistency and what you could really see. But I think, you know, Denzel's a physical player that's much like what Josh was and uh, Denzel can make every type of catch. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you can put, you can put Denzel out wide. You can put him in the slot if you want to that sort of thing. But I think it, it's, it's a high, you know, I, I really think that Denzel is just learning a lot about the position. And like I said, the coaching that he got under Frizz Jackson the last two years uh, will be a, a, a great a service to him and help him make the transition. But I kind of look at him more like Josh. Kevin, you had the opportunity to watch him the entire time he was at Baylor. So having had the opportunity to watch him, get to know him up close, really see his game, how do you think this ultimately turns out for him and the Jets? Do you think that a couple of years from now, Jets fans are excited that they were able to steal him in the NFL draft? Do you have any worries that perhaps he won't be able to live up to the billing? How do you think this ultimately turns out? What kind of player will he be in the NFL for the Jets? And also, what do you think the Jets need to do to bring out the best in him? Well, I think for one, uh, I think it's it's going to be, like I said earlier, I think it's going to be a case where it's going to start slow. I think he can, now is he going to be a number one wide receiver? That's really hard to tell. There's going to have to be some sort of salient moment for Denzel, or maybe it's a game, a catch, a sequence of several games, or something like that, where he crosses that threshold into that number one territory. But as a whole, uh, I think he can be a really solid producer uh, in this game. Now, I, I think what, what the Jets are going to have to do is put him, in a, put him in a role that will gradually bring him along. If they try to force feed him into, uh, force feed him into their system and expect a lot fast from him, then that's not going to work, in my opinion. I think as long as and – I, and I would suspect that the Jets won't do that. But I but, – you know, it's a case where maybe there's pressure on the Jets because the fact that they haven't made the playoffs, what is it, the last four years? Uh, and so there's like, this is kind of an hour and every season, that sort of thing. But it's all about just developing the relationship within the offense and how that's going to turn out. But again, I think it's a case where as long as they continue to bring him along gradually, I think you could see a lot of, of quality things from Denzel uh, in that second year. I'm looking more for that second year where something starts to turn for him and for the Jets. And if and if it happens before then, then more power to him and the Jets. Kevin, I wish it was only four years since the Jets made the playoffs. It's been almost a decade, actually. So, <laughs> Oh, geez. Okay. Let's hope that Denzel Mims helps to change that. Kevin Lonquist of Sikkim Sports, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For those that want to read your work and interact with you on social media, how can they do that? Sure. You can find us on uh, SikkimSports.com or uh, Baylor.Rivals.com. 
And then you can find us on Twitter at, uh, at Sikkim Sports. And uh, what I'll do for you, too, is I'll send you that uh, uh, tweet of when he was, when I found him in that camp in uh, June of 2015, so you can share it with your, your folks, uh, because I think it's really kind of fun to see some of where they were in their early stages to where they are now. But uh, thanks for having me on. As always, we'll look forward to doing it down the line uh, should our paths cross. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, if you haven't given the show a five-star review yet on iTunes, if you could do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way to help us out. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. So if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. Let's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets. Dot com.